It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley. With me, as always, is Chuck Holmes. And Chuck, you know, people talk about this podcast not being a tough podcast. Well, this is a tough podcast, Chuck, all right? And this is the Hangout in the Holy Land. It's Hangout Against the World, and it always will be. And damn, it feels good to say that. Uh, you know, it's a – when everybody doubted us whether we were going to be able to get this podcast up on a Sunday morning after a big game, I I knew it. You knew it. Uh, McAfee's going to have us on tomorrow just to talk about <laughs> it. He's giving us equal air time. We're going to do this. And it's I'm actually going to uh, wrestle. Uh, you know, McAfee's a big WWE guy. He's getting a ring put up. Me and Lou Holtz are going 15 minute time limit for the podcast championship of the world. How about that? I think that sounds fantastic. And I wanted to I really wanted to yell and sort of get after it there. But I didn't want to alarm or turn people off. Um, so, again, just welcome to hang out in the Holy Land. It is a wonderful Sunday morning for us. Chuck and I are recording, obviously, after, uh, gosh, just 
a hell of a football game last night that we're going to talk about in depth and in bulk. It's almost one of those holy shit games. Pardon my French. It was just the back and forth between Ohio State and Notre Dame. Uh, the way that it ended, just a, a ton to unpack. But I want to branch out a little bit, Chuck. And I'm going to put you on the spot just a bit. We talked about this slate of college football games this weekend. We were looking forward to it with all the ranked matchups. And I'm not going to go back through them. But, man, you know, Ohio State Notre Dame damn near saved the weekend. This weekend was actually sort of a downer when you thought about the the seven ranked matchups that we talked about this past Wednesday. Obviously, Florida State-Clemson was a, a good game. But other than that, you know, Ole Miss didn't show up against Alabama. Iowa, good grief, did not show up against Penn State. 75 total yards, held the ball for four minutes in the game. Uh, a number of other games just didn't meet expectations. So not only did Ohio State Notre Dame provide some fantastic theater, some drama, it sort of saved the weekend. Would you agree? It did because when you turned on Notre Dame, or I'm sorry, Florida State and Clemson early, you're like, oh man, this is this is what we're looking for, right? Yep. And then Dabo Dabo's with his kicker that he pulled. Uh, off the beach and then you start watching Ole Miss and all the crap that Lane Kiffin was talking and they didn't show up you're like oh this is just not what what I expected at all how about Colorado how about them buffs how about Colorado how about Colorado I tell you what though what I will say and, and kudos to Oregon they're building a good program Dan Lanning is maybe the biggest hypocrite ever like you can't you can't complain about what Dion does and didn't do what Dion does. Like you either do it or don't like, I get it. You don't like it. Well then don't do it. So he, it's not that he doesn't like it. It's like that he, he's, he was just mad that his team wasn't getting the spotlight. So he's a hypocrite. He's a good football coach though. And they got a good team. Uh, Utah, uh, not a great game to watch, but they're, <laughs> no. they're going to be trouble. They're going to be trouble when Bryce they're fun. back. Yeah. And, and, Obviously, to end it with this Notre Dame and Ohio State game, which wasn't always the most aesthetically pleasing game to watch, but was a was what college football is about. It was tension. There was never a time where you were not locked into this game because you just knew something was going to happen to potentially shift it. And it happened two or three times during the game uh, all the way up until the last play. That's a good point by you. The the tension, just the pressure. <clears throat> You're right. From minute one through minute 60, people watching that game were super focused. And it wasn't a shootout. It wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing, to your point. But I really liked the game. And if I wasn't an Ohio State fan, I would have really enjoyed watching this game because it's – it's sort of rare. It's refreshing to see what you think are good offenses going up against good defenses and it being a bit of a chess game. You know, I, 
a defensive game can sort of be one of two things. It can be what we saw last night, or it can be a result of the opposing offenses turning the ball over, not being able to execute, just being sloppy. This wasn't that. This was the defense was the defenses were five to ten percent better than the offenses. Something like that. Because you look at it, there were no turnovers. Very few sacks given up by the offensive lines. Both teams averaged, let's see, in total four and a half and four point seven yards per carry. Both quarterbacks had a QBR above 75, which is nothing to write home about, right? And there was, there were certainly times where the execution was very poor, and we'll get into that. But top to bottom, this was a really fun, entertaining, good college football game. And so I'm with you. That's sort of what you look for. That's what this is all about. I don't need a shootout all the time if the quality of the football is pretty good. And I think that, by and large, the quality of the football played last night in South Bend was pretty darn good. You could say the players outperformed the coaching staffs last night. Yes, yes, you could. There were were some coaches that coached better than others, but I, I firmly believe both teams were in that game despite their head coaches. And, and we can get into more of that, but I, I wasn't impressed with either. But both teams, and, and maybe they, they did their work up till Saturday because both teams were were ready to go and executed their game plans pretty well. But they there were there were opportunities abound on both sides where you're just you just looked at yourself like, why was that decision made? And it wasn't the players. I didn't think there were a, there's always a couple throws. Nobody, no quarterback ever throws to the right receiver every single time. If he does, well, we would have already been talking about him being in the NFL or heading towards the Heisman. But there were multiple play calls on both sides on offense, defense, special teams, concepts where we were like, like this is football one on one, and we're we're looking like we're not seeing uh, guys that have been coaching football for decades run these units. I want to get into the coaching, and Chuck, let's try to do this without getting too much into the stats and like a positional breakdown because. We obviously have a, a podcast to do. We've got to fill some minutes, right? But you think about some of the coaching. And the first thing that comes to mind for me is fourth and short, fourth and one. Not just a Ryan Day thing in this game. But you think about some of the calls. And I recall a, a play action or a fourth and one pass in the first half by Ohio State. A fourth and one end around late in the game by Ohio State. Two mind-blowingly confusing calls, but we can get into that. On the other side, Notre Dame had at least two fourth downs that ended with Sam Hartman having the ball in his hands and getting stuffed or failing to get yards when... I mean, Notre Dame, not only did they have nine running backs to choose from, but they had the one who is averaging eight-something yards per carry. He's 5'11", 6'2", 
260 pounds or whatever he is in Estime, and he wasn't getting the ball. Sam Hartman is, what, six foot, 200 maybe? Not known for his running. He can scramble. He can certainly make some plays, but did not extend on a sideline and then tried to go over tackle of all places, of all things, on a quarterback sneak that got blown up. So you've got the fourth down situations, and then you've got – there's one that I know you're passionate about at the end of the game, but right before Ohio State scores – Notre Dame with 10 guys on defense, and not once, but twice, and I think what some people didn't realize at the time, it it took me until after the game to see it, obviously, but then the fact that the first play they had 10 guys on the field was after a timeout. They came out of a timeout with 10 guys on the field, and then they did it again on fourth down, they didn't change it up. And for Marcus Freeman to say that he didn't want to take a penalty, well, when Ohio State's inside the one, that penalty's six inches. Take the damn penalty. Run out to the field yourself and do cartwheels, jumping jacks. It doesn't matter. You would rather have all personnel on the field and give up six inches a thousand times out of a hundred. So that one really confused me just his thought process of hey we don't want to take a penalty it it makes no difference Ohio State's going from the one to the one so those were the ones that jumped out to me as far as head scratching coaching decisions Chuck I know that you have one that you're passionate about so hit me with that one or talk about some of the ones that I brought up yeah like that play at the end Simmons didn't block anybody and and that's his which is a best case scenario for Ohio State Right. So if you put somebody on him, Trainum may not be in that spot. So that was huge. Uh, probably not worth the risk on his part, being that, oh, I don't know, it cost him the football game. But there were kind of two plays there at the end. The play before that, there is nothing. And I understand that this is like uh, get the ball out quick football in 2023. Kyle McCord has not made a single throw accurately on the run all season every single big throw he's made the play to get them to the one he was in the pocket the couple of plays before that to Marv he was in the pocket all the plays he made last week he's not running and throwing on the run yet they rolled him out and tried to throw the ball to the corner of the end zone and guess what the ball was six yards offline it never even if Marvin Harrison catches that he's out of bounds it's it, it like what are we doing you have to know your personnel and then For them to kick the extra point and risk a block is just mind-blowing. Like, what are we doing? Like, do they not understand the rules of college football? (laughs) Like, if if that's blocked and returned, it's a tie game and they're going to overtime. If you take a knee, you're kicking off up two and you only have one play. Exactly what happened. There was no chance for that play to happen. It's, it's, I, I just can't, I can't fathom that no, they have a spectator. And then in an effort to try to, I think they were trying to kick it at somebody. <laughs> yeah. goes out of bounds because it, he doesn't kick it straight. He's trying to kick it at somebody to knock it off of him and start the clock. Just kick the damn ball down the, when, when was the last time Ohio State gave up a kickoff return? 
kickoff returns don't happen anymore. Yeah. I get it, squib it, but squib it down the middle of the field. Like, stop trying to get cute. Two straight plays, the special teams got cute, and both of them could have cost them. It's just, like, I, I just, I there's no way I can be smarter than the special teams coordinator. No way. No, but I have to, and I hate doing this, I have to give you a ton of credit for calling out the extra point because I didn't think about it, but you're a thousand percent correct that, if that gets blocked and run back, then it's a tie game. And that's the likelihood of that happening might be just as good, just as high, just as whatever as the pitchy, witchy, woo, woo on the kickoff return, right? Like that's, it's common enough that you just don't do it. I didn't think about that. So that was a great point. And yeah, the squib, I, I believe that we have, that Ohio State has Parker Fleming on staff for a reason. I'm not sure what it is. Um, he's probably a great clubhouse guy, a great locker room guy, and Ohio State's been successful with long snappers, I guess. You know, they've, they've had some guys, although I guess that sort of precedes Parker Fleming. I, I don't know. I'm trying to put my finger on exactly what it is because Ohio State, the return game sucks too. Like, Kick coverage team is pretty solid, but yeah, <laughs> the squib was a head scratcher for sure. Ohio State was trying to shoot itself in the foot just a little bit, <clears throat> but Chuck, let's do this. Let's take a break. We'll knock this one out early. We'll come back and then we'll talk about some position groups, some players, some other pivotal moments and things like that. So uh, let's put a pin in it. Chuck and I are going to take a break, and we'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast for Chuck Holmes. I am Josh Dooley, and I guess we're just going to talk about this Ohio State-Notre Dame game from last night. Not a, a, a ton else going on, sort of a mundane performance by both teams, not a whole lot of drama, yada, yada, yada. Um, and obviously, I'm joking. Chuck, let's start to look at some of the uh, position by position breakdown and you know some of the comps here, because I really want to start with quarterback, and I want to give credit where credit is due. I want to talk about my guy, Kyle McCord, 
But we can also talk about Sam Hartman and sort of comp that to Ohio State's defense a little bit. Kyle McCord for Ohio State, 21 for 37, 240 yards, uh, 89.5 QBR. Sam Hartman on the other side, 17 for 25, 175 yards, one touchdown, 79.4 QBR. I think that prior to this game, well, I don't think, I know. We talked about it on a Wednesday. We thought that the opposing quarterback that played the best might determine the outcome of this game. Sam Hartman's the experienced guy. He's got 50 starts. Kyle McCord has the pedigree. He's being developed and coached by Ryan Day, Corey Dennis, and the Ohio State offensive staff. But he's inexperienced. Seemed like he turned a real corner uh, against Western Kentucky. Was just He had officially been named the starter, balled out in that game. And last night, you know, I think Kyle McCord had more of the questionable moments. Certainly a handful of throws that he would like to take back. But... Again, he finished with the higher QBR, which is not necessarily reflective of performance in all instances. But, you know, the thing that really stood out to me, Kyle McCord showed some damn moxie. Chuck, that last drive, you know, you're starting your fourth game, third, I'm sorry, fifth game overall, fourth of the season in South Bend. You're... You're looking up at touchdown Jesus there in South Bend. And man, that like that took some guts. I know it wasn't always pretty, but the execution on that final drive for Kyle McCord, third down to Ibuka, fourth down to Julian Fleming, uh, a seed down the middle to Marvin Harrison Jr. And then when they needed it the most, third and 19, just an absolute howitzer to Ibuka the, really the only place it could be. I think that he outperformed Sam Hartman in this game. And I don't know that it's the absolute difference. Probably not. But it's almost what we talked about. Kyle McCord had the bigger stats um, yardage-wise. And he came up the biggest in the biggest moment of the game. And so I do think it's fair to say that he outplayed Sam Hartman and was at least arguably the difference in the outcome of this game. I couldn't agree more. And if you told me that he was going to even play Hartman to a draw, I would say that's going to be a really good thing for Ohio State because Hartman had been so good this year and and in his career. I mean, let's be honest. He's, I mean, his 12th year, by now he's a, he's a grizzled vet. I tell you what, and I, maybe I hadn't seen him like up close a lot. He looks like an adult. Like my man looks <laughs> like he should be going uh, full grown adult male. Yeah, like he's getting ready to get on a plane. He's got a week's worth of sales calls to make all over the the country in his farmer rep job. Good lord. Uh, but McCord's he we always we have said from uh, April. If Kyle McCord or whoever win the job was 70 to 80 percent of C.J. Stroud and the defense took the step that we thought they could take, that this team could still be really, really, really good. And that's what today was. McCord was not 
great the entire game. He made a couple of throws into some tight spots. He threw to your boy, Cade Stover, double team two or three times. He did not force the ball to the best player in college football at all. Uh, but almost by design, right, Chuck? Like you talked about this pre pod. It seems like he doesn't want to tip his hand, he doesn't want to sort of let opposing defenses figure him out that he may or may not be looking at Marvin Harrison Jr. on every play. He wouldn't be bashed if he did, but yeah, it's almost by design or he's making an effort not to over-target or target too often Marvin Harrison Jr. And it's it's costing him, I think. I think little bit. long-term, that that is going to be a problem. There are going to be times... And obviously, Notre Dame made the adjustment. Kate Stover caught a couple passes early, and then they rolled some coverage to him. Well, he kept throwing it to him. At some point, I think that's where he his next step is. He's got to be able to make those in-game adjustments in his head. Ryan Day is famously uh, good for that. Uh, we could argue today that yesterday might not have been that best performance by him. But for him to make those plays on that last um uh, drive especially with the way it started was huge it was big time and we we again I don't want to bash play calling but they set him up for failure by starting to drive off with a little dink off to Travion and and Travion didn't catch it it wasn't a great throw but even if he catches it he gets three yards and it does absolutely nothing but start the clock up again so they kind of put him behind the eight ball and he still made the plays. I I don't even blame him for the intentional grounding because he was going down. Regardless. That was a tough play, man. He was going. They were going to get him at that spot. He took a chance. He did not throw it into coverage, which I that would have been what concerned me if he tried to throw that in. He did try to get rid of it, and they they didn't lose anything. Right? They did lose the timeout but they weren't going to be able to use the damn timeout anyway because the next play had to go to the goal line. It wasn't going to be something that they got anything out of. I think it was worth the risk, and frankly, it was really good on him to have the uh, wherewithal to be able to get rid of the ball because he was about to get annihilated <laughs> if he didn't. So I, I agree with you. He grew to, to play in that stadium – and for those of you that are on Twitter saying that it was 50% Buckeye fans, 70% Buckeye fans, and Buckeyes travel, you guys are liars. It was maybe 20% Buckeye fans. And that's a big number for me. I think me, it was 30. Huge that the Buckeyes were able to get 50. But for them to be able to get 15,000 tickets, that's huge. But that means there's 60,000 Notre Dame fans there. Like, that was a hostile road environment. That was not a Buckeyes takeover Bloomington type situation. It was a hostile environment, and he made big balls plays at the end of that game. And to me, this is, and this is the old head in me, this is older, this is 25 years ago college football, where the quarterbacks don't always throw for 450 yards every game. But there's six or eight plays in every game that they have to make, and he made one or two more than Hartman did, especially in the fourth quarter, because a couple of those plays on that last drive by Notre Dame were mistakes by Hartman, I think. I, the play calls weren't great, but he did not handle the play call properly, whereas McCord got the ball back, 
made the plays, and his team won because of it. Yeah, he grew up, in a sense. Kyle McCord did. He's not as grizzled yet as Sam Hartman. And and look, there are some... There are absolutely some throws and some plays. Give him 10 years and he'll be it. When he's a seventh-year senior. But, you know, I think about... He probably should have thrown two interceptions, right? And if I'm not mistaken, they... Well, one was definitely in the end zone. I'd have to go back and look. But should have thrown two interceptions. And the biggest thing for me that Kyle McCord needs to work on is letting a play develop just a little bit longer. We've seen it in previous games where if he holds onto the ball a little bit longer, watches a Mecca sprinting across the field a little bit longer, you know, there's a deep crosser that goes for, for six. There was a play last night, I think it was on a third or fourth down. Um, it wasn't a, a strict rollout, but he kind of went out to the right side and I think it was an incompletion, a dump off. It was something that, that really didn't benefit Ohio State. If he had given it a quarter second, Marv was on a dig route and he was going to come back. And, you know, it was wide open by the time McCord had already released it to somebody else. So letting some things develop, there's clearly some work to do. Decision making can always be better. You know, this is his fifth start, was his fifth start. And you and I both agree that he could force the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr., a tad bit more and we'd be okay with it. But they talk about Kyle being calm and cool. He was. And I would not have been shocked if we were sitting here today talking about Kyle McCord going 17 for 36 with a pick. And maybe he hit some bigger deep shots, but his decision-making just wasn't there. He got spooked. We didn't see a whole lot of that. Early on, you know, the nerves were maybe pumping a little bit. And then, yeah, on the fourth or on that drive to end the game, the the swing to Travion Henderson was tipped. Then he goes back to Travion Henderson on the other side, sort of throws a howitzer over his head. And I was like, oh, man, you know, is he nervous? Is the, is the moment too big for him? And then it wasn't. He settled in and particularly the throw to Ibuka on third and 19 to get them down to the one. I think Notre Dame played too soft of coverage there, but Emeka Ibuka went right to where he saw open space. Kyle McCord anticipated that throw and he let it rip. He did what Ryan Day said that the Buckeyes were going to do going into the game. He let it rip. And I've always talked about Kyle McCord's arm strength. I think it can be pretty special. We don't always see it on display. And, you know, I think about a guy, Matt Stafford, probably could have put that ball through a Mecca Buka's chest. You want to talk about a rocket, like that's Matt Stafford. But that was the seed that Kyle McCord threw, and it's what they needed. And... <clears throat> Good for him, too, man, because you saw him jump up on the bench, or I saw him jump up on the Ohio State bench, sort of talking to the crowd after Ohio State won. Last week gave him confidence. I think that this week gives him even more, and then maybe we can start to see Kyle McCord have those games where he's putting up 350 yards, three to four touchdowns, and he's just controlling everything all over the field. At the same token, 
hopefully that gives Ryan Day some more confidence in him as well to, again, let him rip, which is what we thought we were going to see last night. We didn't really see that from Ohio State. They didn't air it out. They tried to balance it in right, wrong, or indifference for good or for bad. I think that's what we're going to get with Ryan Day this year. But a great performance from Kyle McCord, even if the stats do not look like it. And going back to Sam Hartman, look, he didn't play a poor game. and Nothing against the guy. I think that he is... For the most part, very he can control his surroundings. He knows what to do out there. He takes what's available. He takes what the defense gives him. Didn't really make any poor decisions last night. If anything, I don't think that the Notre Dame coaches put enough in his hands. Especially when Ohio State's running that soft zone. I think I know why they did it. I think Sam Hartman could have put up bigger numbers last night and utilize some of the guys that he had available to him. He didn't really do much with his wide receivers. I mean, Jaden Greathouse for them, two for 40. Chris Tyree, one for 25. Rico Flores, three for 20. Mitchell Evans came out of absolutely nowhere as their tight end to put up a number, a bunch of numbers. I don't think Notre Dame put enough on the plate of Sam Hartman. I think the receivers also proved who they were, though. They stayed. Yes, a thousand percent. They're not. We, we were worried because we didn't know. And I think I think the running backs proved that they were all dogs. Even yeah. uh, Estime didn't run for eight a carry, but he ran hard. Like, their running backs are, are dogs, and their receivers are uh, kitty cats. They stink. So well, I, I mean, there, a lot of them are young, man, but I think they were overrated coming into the game. Absolutely. And when you are going against experienced guys in that secondary, and we have talked about that secondary playing well up to this point, and they played well yesterday. They held their own against a guy that's been in college football for eight years and has thrown for a F load of yards and were able to keep him in a relatively uh, relative check. And, and and be able to keep everything in front of them. There wasn't a single deep, real deep shot at all. Like, they didn't even really try to go deep. Like, there wasn't anything to me that was open. And, and it wasn't because he was hurried. He had all day back there. My man ate <laughs> three sandwiches during the game. So it wasn't like he was getting pushed around and, and getting hurried. There just wasn't anything for him. And he's a smart quarterback and that he's not going to push the envelope into something that's going to make a mistake. I think he knows he's probably the type that would take a risk with Harrison or Abuka, but he knows, Hey, these guys I got aren't that. So we've got to take what they give us. And that was the tight end. Some he doesn't even have AT Perry. I don't know if you're super familiar with AT Perry, Chuck. He was uh, the, the lead guy for wake forest for a, a number of years. Sure. He's playing in the NFL right now. He's a freak. He's like six, four, two twenty. Notre Dame has some guys that maybe fit that size profile, but to your point, they're not the receiver that even A.T. Perry was at Wake Forest. And this defense is, we knew they were going to be the best defense that Notre Dame had faced. Notre Dame had faced nobody, but we just didn't know if they were going to be able to hold up over a whole game with his pressure. And the cracks they showed wasn't deep. It wasn't the secondary. The cracks were up front. And so to me, that's really impressive. And, when you look at their schedule going forward, we talked about how daunting it is. 
We look at how Tanner Mordecai hasn't been as good as we thought he was. Drew Aller hasn't been as good as we thought he is. Uh, J.J. McCarthy definitely hasn't been as good as we Some thought he might be. Some interceptions, for sure. Yeah, all of a sudden, you're like, holy smokes, is this defense going to control this schedule because of what they were able to do? None of those guys, you could definitely say, are stamp it better than Hartman. And they held him to a pedestrian normal game and if you hold him to a normal game or hold the other opposing team's quarterback to a normal game you are going to be in that game every single time I think you're probably right unless that other team just runs the ball all over you and so now Chuck that's an easy transition to the running game and the running backs on both sides here Travion Henderson last night for Ohio State, 14 carries for 104 yards, 7.4 yard per carry average, and the long touchdown. Look, those numbers are skewed by the 61-yard touchdown run. I think that I still want more out of Travion Henderson. I think that Ohio State might be asking him to do the wrong things some of the time. You Think back to when he was a true freshman. Travion Henderson is a outside boundary guy. Like you want to get him on the edges, which is what happened on the on the long touchdown run. Let him use his speed. Now, does he have plenty of quickness? Is he tougher than he probably gets credit for? I think so. Is he shifty in the trenches? He can be. But you take away the long carry and you're talking about 13 for 43. So not great. But that's maybe where Chip Tranum comes into play. They used him a little bit more as a battering ram last night. Obviously, he had the game-winning touchdown. But other than that, only five carries for 12 yards before. He had six for 13 overall. Ohio State just doesn't run block well. I think that they were better last night and... Again, maybe some of it's on coaching and, and the play calling and what those runs are that are being called. Um, they really only had one or two to the short side of the field, which is I know every Ohio State fans just it, it drives them all wild. It drives the national media wild. The 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 boundary run, the toss, the whatever it is to the short side of the field. I guess that's just going to be a Ryan Day thing until the end of time. I don't understand it. I think the running backs were were good last night. I still want more from the running game. But you look at the other side. Notre Dame had five running backs with at least two carries. uh, Four of them with at least three. And I know that doesn't seem like a large number, but... The rotation was there. They were keeping guys fresh. And Chuck, I don't know about you, in the first half, I thought it was working to Notre Dame's detriment. I was like, look, man, let one of them sort of find a rhythm, fall into a rhythm, let Estime sort of beat up on the Buckeyes. But they held true to the rotation, and it paid dividends in the second half. So I have to give kudos and credit to them. I don't think it was working in the first half. But they had a plan, and that was to keep the guys fresh, and it worked in the third and fourth quarter because they started to run the ball down the throats of Ohio State. But solid ground game on both sides. I can't really give the edge to one or the other. 
Chuck, let's talk about Ohio State's running game. What do you think about Travion Henderson and Chip Tranum, the use of those guys? And we can even extend it to Mayan Williams. Where are you at through four games with Ohio State and their running backs and how they're using them and, and, and what they're getting out of them? Shame on them for, and I know they pulled Tranum out on that third down on the goal line and put Mayan in for one play. Just get, get the hell out of here with that. That's so ridiculous that that's where you put him in for the first time. And then I don't believe he saw the field again. Like, come on, guys. That that part of it's ridiculous. Yep. I think, though, they are this. This is what this is what they got. You're four games in. This offensive line is not going to get better at run blocking. They're just maybe they might incrementally improve, but they are not going to just like head over heel or head, head and shoulders get better. At run blocking so and they stink at it like it is it is not it is not a good run blocking unit so they are going to have to figure some things out now you could argue two years ago they had the same issue they had uh, uh a a lineup of four tackles and a center and we could argue that they couldn't run block as well because they had four tackles on the field well this is the exact opposite they got no tackles on the field and they still can't run block. So I, I don't know that it's fixable. I think there there maybe there's some scheme things in there, but to me, it just seems like with the limitations on the line, this is just not going to be an A plus offense at Ohio State because you if you don't have an A plus line. And you don't have a plus quarterback, which we love Kyle McCord. We think he's doing not a plus. If you don't have either of those, it doesn't matter what the guys are. You're just not going to reach 45 points a game every game. And that's why I want, I, I would like Ohio State to use Travion Henderson the way the Lord intended him to be used, <clears throat> which is an all purpose back. Like they've they've at least looked at it at times this year, right? He had a um, he's had a couple of receptions in the first three games. He got a couple targets last night. Those were probably doomed, but he had the targets late. Travion Henderson is an explosive running back. He is a dynamic running back, and I do think that he can be an every-down sort of guy, but not behind this line. It's just not there. So if you're going to use Chip Trainum, use them in tandem a bit more don't just use chip on certain downs i think you gotta make some sort of a real rotation there and i feel bad for mine williams man like i haven't given up on him he was a beast he arguably helped save ohio state season at times last year he's just i guess a smaller slower version of trying him and that's working against him now i still hope and i think that he has his moments at some point during the year but he is the clear and evident third running back on the depth chart. Um, I hope it changes a little bit, but not to the detriment of the other guys. Notre Dame, on the other hand, like I said, I thought that they should have fed Estimate more, but then it's hard to argue with what they did in the second half. They've got a really good running back room, and they've got a really good offensive line that helps those guys out. But Notre Dame's going to win a bunch of games. They're going to figure out the right balance, but I do think it's led by that running back room and all the guys that they have there.
skill positions for both of these teams a bit lacking last night, but let's get into that, Chuck. Emeka Ibuka for Ohio State led the Buckeyes with seven catches for 96 yards, long of 23. He had the big catch, uh, the big reception of 19 yards down to the one on the game-winning drive. Cade Stover continues the year of the tight end. He had seven receptions on, let me look at this, 43 targets. Seems a little high. My numbers might be off, but he had a lot. Not not by much, though. Not by much. <laughs> Good Lord, did they throw the ball to him a lot. Xavier Johnson had just one catch, but for 40 yards. That's another thing that I think Ohio State could use more of. Use him. He is X. He is your weapon. Sneak him out of the backfield, and if you don't want to do it with Travion Henderson, do it with Xavier Johnson. I think we'll see more of that than Marvin Harrison Jr., Look, we're glad the guy's okay or seems okay. Probably has some sort of ankle sprain. The bye is coming at arguably the best time possible. Only three receptions for 32 yards. Notre Dame bracketed him quite a bit throughout the game. You and I still think that he could have been force-fed a little bit more. I think he had a long reception that was ruled incomplete. Um, I know it wasn't about the foot or the hand or the elbow. It was about did he maintain possession. I think that he did. His numbers could have looked a little bit better. But, you know, for the most part, Ohio State's wide receivers were held in check by the Notre Dame defense. Credit to them. I think they had a good game plan. They were bracketing both Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka at times, especially in the first half. Obviously, we know that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the unicorn of all unicorns. He's the goat of all goats. He is a supreme, supreme talent. But Chuck, can I make an argument or convince you in any way that Ameka Egbuka is like the chess piece that is the most versatile that gives you flexibility like he's not the king right he doesn't hold all the power but at Mecca Buka like he can be used in so many ways and when Ohio State needs somebody to get open anywhere on the field I feel like Ibuka is kind of that guy and what's what's crazy about I don't disagree the crazy part about this and I would have never ever believed this in the spring especially watching McCord throw the ball to Harrison as much as he did during the spring game is they were moving Harrison around in the spring to get him in spots, kind of doing what they're doing with Emeka Buka during the regular season. Yeah. And he's now Harrison's kind of out there. You've got to really make an effort to push the ball to him, which I I'm blown away that they're, that he's not. And we've talked about this already. But yes, uh, Abuka is more of a, uh, he can be anywhere from the outlet to the big play, whereas Harrison's not necessarily ever the outlet. He's kind of the uh, move to change out to big play type guy. And it has, it's obviously hindered his ability to get the ball. I'm hoping with this buy, even if not so much for, for Harrison to practice, but for McCord to practice, and get some work driving the ball down the field now that he's got some confidence in I'm the guy, and it can help him uh, when they come out of that bye actually be 
driving the ball where they hoped they would be driving the ball uh, throughout the year. It seems like Ohio State has fallen back or found themselves in the XYZ usage with their wide receivers, which is sort of traditional. It's not every guy can do everything. And so I, I'm not saying Igmeka Igbuka is the, the better wide receiver, the more dangerous wide receiver even. It's really just sort of their usage. Igbuka is the do-all, the catch-all, whereas, yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. is sort of – they're using him – like the the Rolls Royce, you know, like the Bentley. They're, they're taking him out for drives on certain occasions. I do hope that they figure out a way around that or get Marvin Harrison Jr. involved a little bit more. But so far it's working, uh, at least as far as we think so, or that would be our opinion. On the other side, Notre Dame, like I said, they were led by tight end Mitchell Evans, had seven receptions for 75 yards. I think that was driven by Ohio State's defense. They've talked about this guy maybe being the next in line to uh, follow in the footsteps of Michael Mayer and, and all the tight ends that Notre Dame has had. And look, Mitchell Evans seems like a talented guy. I was not super aware of him going into this game. That's on me, hand up. But when Ohio State was falling into that soft zone, Mitchell Evans was finding spots, and Sam Hartman was finding Mitchell Evans. So credit to both of those guys. Then then you look at the other ones, though. Jaden Thomas and Tobias Merriweather, in particular, nowhere to be found. They combined two catches for 13 yards. Rico Flores, true freshman, good for him. Had 20 yards, he had the touchdown. And Jaden Greathouse, two for 40. Chris Tyree, who had been, uh, you know, sort of their, I think he was their leading yardage guy, we talked about he was averaging 30 yards per catch. I said that was not attainable. Well, he averaged 25 yards per reception last night, but he only had one of them. So I think Ohio State's secondary held these guys in check, which is another transition. Let's get into some of these defenses. We were wondering if Ohio State's secondary was cracked up was going to be what it was cracked up to be. They had held opponents in check. They were surrendering like 140 yards passing. They held Western Kentucky in check and we were like, well, they haven't been tested. This is going to be a test. And by design, Notre Dame did not air it out. But just looking at the secondaries, I don't think you could really ask much more of Ohio State's secondary unit through four games. I don't really have a complaint. And I've had complaints for two or three years, every single week. I do not have any current complaints about this Ohio State secondary. I think they're playing fantastic football. Denzel Burke, I don't think he was tested a lot last night. They probably didn't want to test him. Denzel Burke has been an A++. Davison Igbenosin, I know he had a penalty last night. I know that he he's a bit more of a gambler. He can be touchy. He can be feely. But I think in the best ways, he loves to tackle, stick his nose in there. If Burke has been an A++, Igbenosin's been an A for me. And Jordan Hancock's been an A for me as well. Didn't play as much last night. They didn't need him as often as sort of that traditional slot corner. 
But Ohio State's got three of them. And then the safeties have played pretty well. I texted you last night during the game. Josh Proctor was in coverage at least once, defended a pass or prevented a completion. I'm really pleased with this Ohio State secondary. And last night sort of cemented what I, I thought they were or could be against really good teams. The only complaints I have, that penalty that Igbenosen got was a penalty. He held that guy for 12 to 15 yards. Fake it till you make it, man. What, he was he was upset. Like he lie, lie, lie. Jersey. Oh, my God. It was mind-blowing. And I love it. You, you, you take those occasionally because he is so good when he's physical. But good Lord, man, just you, 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 commit, you grab him. Come on. I, it the at at any point when this is what we were hoping for this whole time they were they were running to the ball they were uh, they were aggressive in coverage nobody like they didn't even take a shot deep like there wasn't a ball that Hartman threw 40 50 yards in the air not one because and, and I'm, I know Notre Dame is not designed like that but I guarantee they tried it a couple times and there just wasn't anything there the safeties are. Uh, the I, I feel like the rotation at nickel safety between Hancock and Sonny Styles, they they've kind of figured out based on the team they're playing. Styles made a phenomenal play to uh thwart a drive last night. Just unbelievable uh dive in and I it wasn't a tackle for loss, but it was a stop before a first down. Uh his boy Lathan Ransom jumped right on top of him to try to get the assist. Lathan's he is um uh, he's gonna lead the nation in tackles 12 yards down uh the the past the line of scrimmage. But that's what Ronnie Hickman did. He might have a hundred tackles in the same style that Ronnie Hickman did. Very possible. Like ransom that one job, he got a job, and then he was eight to twelve yards down the line and making tackles every time. He loved to knock his teammate down. After he'd been tripped up by the linebacker, that was he was king of that. Now he's playing strong safety. I get it; that's more of his role. But it's just funny that my man isn't making any plays anywhere else but those three yard areas of the field. Uh, that being said, if everybody else continues to play the way they do, he can just be that garbage man. They don't need him to go make twelve plays a game if Proctor's holding up. And I, I, I'm blown away that Proctor's still holding up in the back end, but he is. And if Styles and Hancock, based on uh, the other team's personnel, can hold up in the, the slot and the outside guys can hold up, it doesn't matter, really. Like he, All he has to do is keep guys in front of him. That literally is his job at that point. So I'm, I'm blown away impressed with, with how they did to hold Hartman to 175 yards. I don't care what the game plan is. To hold Hartman to 175 yards is a good job by them. For sure. And on the other side, I know that Benjamin Morrison didn't have a ton of stats last night for Notre Dame. He did have two pass defenses. I think I think he defended Marvin Harrison Jr. pretty well. You got to give him credit for that. I mean, he was a freshman All-American. I think he was a preseason All-American coming into this year. Good job by him. I didn't notice Cam Hart a ton. Uh, I did see the Xavier Watts and Thomas Harper, the two safeties for Notre Dame, combined for 10 tackles. Well, Thomas Harper is sort of a, a hybrid, plays that nickel-ish sort of position, but 
credit to those guys. They more or less contained Ohio State's passing game. But now, I, I don't know if I'm exasperated or excited to sort of talk about the front sevens of both of these teams. Front sixes, front sevens, whatever you want to call them. Again, let's start with Ohio State. Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg combined for 11 tackles at linebacker. Up front, JT Tuimolo. You could have fooled me watching it live. Up front, JT Tuimolo, Allen, Tyleek Williams combined for 10 tackles. And, you know, I don't think Tuimolo got, got credit for a sack. So, yeah, one and a half tackles for loss. But... I don't think Ohio State's front six front seven. I don't think they they were fine last night. I I don't know that it's going to if they played this game against Penn State, Michigan right now, I, I, I don't know if it's enough. I've got to watch those teams more. Maybe maybe Notre Dame is every bit the equal of a Penn State, of a Michigan. I thought the pressure up the middle was pretty good. I think that Tyleek Williams and Mike Hall Jr. played fairly well. They would probably grade out B plus, A minus, something like that. But there were occasions uh, you know, during which they were pushed back and blown off the line, particularly in the second half. Th- they were tired. And so you have to take that into account. Notre Dame was on the field, it seemed like, for the entire second half. But Steel Chambers in particular... I don't know if he was guessing wrong, finding himself in the wrong positions. Uh, you know, he sort of got blown off the line a number of times, wasn't in the right gaps when he needed to be. For Steel Chambers, that was a poor Steel Chambers game. I know he had six tackles, not overly impressive. Tommy Eichenberg did some things. I don't think that he was as out of position. But the defensive ends, again, man, like at some point, Ohio State has to get something out of their defensive ends. They weren't poor last night, I don't think. You know, both Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolowal got some push on a, some, you know, a few occasions. And JT Tuimolowal came up biggest when they needed him. I don't know if that's just his thing, where he buys time, buys time, and then when they need him, he makes a play. Not a great game from the front six, front seven, whatever you want to call it for Ohio State. And it starts with the defensive ends for me. At some point, these guys got to be better or there's going to be a game in which they almost cost Ohio State. It's hard to say two out of 11 could cost a defense. These guys aren't giving you anything. It's got to be better. I don't think Sam Hartman's jersey is going to get washed this week. They're just going (laughs) to hang it up because he didn't he never touched the ground. And I I well, he did on fourth and one. (laughs) <laughs> he did on fourth and one, but it wasn't because right, of the defensive right. line. No, exactly. For me, and and we had we had talked previously about well, they're stopping the run or they're doing this, and I I don't disagree that those plays at the end that that JT Tuimolau made were great. He made those plays because he read the quarterback. He didn't actually get any penetration. He wasn't physically. He did not physically make those plays. He mentally made those plays, and great. Make them, but guess what? As a defensive end, sometimes you got to physically make plays, and and they didn't do that. Like they did not. I don't remember a time where they showed Hartman watching his pass on his butt. Like he never got hit after a play. He never got hit during a play, 
It's just Chuck. The one th- time that I can think of was an Eichenberg blitz, and that's the only time I right. can think of. Absolutely, for Jack Sawyer, and and I get it. They they only so we we got thirty seven pass attempts, and we didn't get him down one time. They also ran it thirty three times with their running backs. I know they had a couple with uh, 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 Great House, and then Hartman had a couple. So thirty three times or whatever it was running the ball. Jack Sawyer had one tackle. So you're telling me they ran away from him every time? Like, come on. There, there's just got to be, there's got to be something. And no other, I'm looking at the stats here. No other defensive end recorded a stat. I don't remember, and I, I haven't seen the, uh, the breakdown. The only time I saw Caden Curry on the field was on offense when he was lined <laughs> up at fullback that one play. I didn't see. Um, anybody else, I don't, I don't know that they played more than a few snaps. I know the defensive tackles rotated a little bit and the, I, I think the tackles played okay the first half, but when you're, when you're going, uh, 14 play drive and then you get them off the field and then the offense goes three and out and you got to go eight more plays. Like at some point that's going to wear, especially when their running backs are 230 pounds blowing right up the middle every single time that's going to happen to them. So I, the the ends could could in my opinion be the reason Ohio State ends up nine and three or ten and two or wins a national championship because if they play to their what we believe is their potential I don't know that it's their potential anymore when you're a third year guy you are who you are but if they start to play to that potential you've got a national championship winning team if they don't one of these quarterbacks is going to expose them when they have all day to sit back there and throw. They got to figure something out, man. I don't know what the answer is. Um, it's probably some ro- more rotation, honestly. Like Kenyatta Jackson was out there for at least, I'll, I'll be honest, at least one snap is all I can verify. I, I put him out there, man. Like it's at this point, it can't hurt. It's not going to be to the detriment of your pass rush because it's, it's non-existent. So I just don't know what it is, man. Like maybe you have to sit down with these guys and say, Hey, we're going to rotate your asses in and out because we're not getting any consistency and it shouldn't hurt any feelings. I, if it does, so be it. You're not getting enough out of two true juniors who have played, a lot of football at this point, and you know they're, they're going to cost you. I, I'm convinced that I, I'm not. I'm not convinced that they're going to cost Ohio State. I'm convinced that they could, um, because I'm still holding out hope. I, Chuck, I think that we believe the talent is there. They've just got to. They've got to get it out of them, uh, especially JT Tuimoloa. We've seen him single-handedly take over games, but then even Jack Sawyer, we've seen him. I get that it's a spring game, whatever, but we've seen these guys get to the quarterback, and, and it just hasn't been happening with any sort of consistency. So that's probably one of my biggest concerns right now. It's lack of pass rush and run blocking on the other side of the ball. Speaking of... Let's give credit where credit is due. Javante John Baptiste. <laughs> he wasn't good at Ohio State. 
You know, he didn't give you a whole hell of a lot. He was good last night. Maybe he was extra motivated. Maybe it was because he was going against Josh Fryer, who I think had a poor game. But Javante John Baptiste had like three big plays. He was involved in a third and one and a fourth on one, fourth and one. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he stopped the third down uh, with Travion Henderson, and then he was involved with the end around handoff to Emeka Ibuka. And he got near Kyle McCord. He was particularly good in the run game, which is, you know, he doesn't have a sack this year for Notre Dame, but eight tackles last night. He played a really good game. So before we sort of transition and start to wrap this thing up, let's give him his flowers. Javante John Baptiste played a very good football game for Notre Dame last night. If he had played like that for the Buckeyes, he'd, he would have been a starter for the Buckeyes and he wouldn't have had to transfer to Notre Dame. Part of the reason he had to leave was because he wasn't going to be in a rotation because that was a season. Last night was his season last year, I feel like. So he pl- he played well. The same They have the same issue, though, that the Buckeyes have and that they didn't get really pressure on anybody, and he didn't either. I know, he, like you said, he got close a couple times, but McCord wasn't. The only time McCord really felt anything was on that last drive when he had the the intentional grounding, and even then – he was, if he throws that ball 10 feet to the left, that's an incomplete pass and they don't even get that out of him. So I, they have the same challenges that Ohio state does on that side. And I would venture to say they're bigger for them because they don't have the athletes on the back end. So they're going to run into somebody that's going to be able to exploit that even more than, than the Buckeyes did. For sure. Chuck, let's sort of start our descent here. Before we get to like our, our categories or our awards that we sort of hand out at the end, let's just talk about some general coaching. Let's take it back for a second. I want to save the Ryan Day conversation for for last or near the end here. Ohio State's defensive game plan last night. What were your impressions of that, Chuck? How do you think that they handled it? Because I... I was very okay with it. It's hard to argue with giving up 14 points. I know they got sort of beaten up in the second half. I would attribute that more to fatigue and just you got to credit Notre Dame's offensive line for getting a bunch of pu- bunch of push and just like wearing on guys and putting bodies on bodies. It was inevitable when they had the ball as much as they did. They dropped uh, Ohio State dropped JT Tuimolo out into coverage a number of times. They dropped their tackles. That was how Tyleek Williams almost got an interception. So I think that Jim Knowles called a pretty good game plan. I don't think he's going to give it an A+, but I didn't have a problem with it. And in the end, it contained Sam Hartman and it limited Notre Dame to 14 points. So I still think that it was the right call, even if it was a bit confusing, frustrating at times during the beginning of the game. Would you agree? I would agree, and I think the offense didn't do him any favors. And and not to like throw shade, but in the first half, you you stop them on downs. They ran 14 plays. The offense goes three and out. And then you have to, you're right back out there a minute 22 later. And then second half, same thing. You stop them on downs. And this one's a positive. Travion goes one play, 61 yards. So within, 
uh, 11 seconds of gameplay and probably five minutes of actual like life, you're back out there and shockingly they, they run it right down your throat. So you knew they were at some point going to run it a little bit. I think, uh, I bet if, if Jim Knowles looked back, he would probably play a little more man and a little less zone in an attempt to kind of limit a little more of what Hartman did. I do think the zone affected um, them a little bit because they hadn't played a ton of it up to that point. Now, maybe that was by design so that they didn't see it, but that would be the only thing. But you tell me at the beginning of this game, Notre Dame scores 14 points. I take it 10 out of 10 times because you've got to depend on a Ryan Day team being able to score 15 points in a game like this. And that's the scary thing. Well, let's talk Ryan Day or Ryan Day adjacent. There was certainly a, a point where I was like, man, I, I think that Ohio State might lose this football game and score 10 points. And it is going to be the first game, in my opinion, just my individual opinion, that they lose or lost because of Ryan Day. That I was convinced, not convinced, but I was convinced of like putting the blame at the feet of Ryan Day at a certain point. Um I think that it was, once again, him trying to prove toughness, which you don't want your coach to necessarily like lead with his heart over his head, but I also have to appreciate it at a, at a certain point. You know, like he's got, he's got passion. Like, dude loves his team. He wants to prove that they're tough and he believes in them, like all of that great stuff. But to continue to beat his head against the wall or beat his team's head against the wall in like third and fourth and short just to try to prove something, I, I think it's the wrong move, the wrong call. Use your horses. And that was probably my biggest gripe from last night. And it's it, it goes back a ways, right? They, they can't figure out third and fourth or short. They just can't. So go away from what you've been doing. He's stubborn. Almost to a fault, but it hasn't really been to a fault, if you know what I mean. Like, if and when they lose a big game because of him, it's going to be his stubbornness. The play calling, it was sort of off all night. I think that this is one of the more poorly called offensive football games of the Ryan Day era. At the same time, it took some cojones to run the ball with three seconds left to go in the game and he had confidence in his guys and it was probably false confidence. I, I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have had it. You couldn't have convinced me that that chip trained him run out of the, was it out of shotgun at that point? Yeah, I, I think that it was, was going to work. So you get the good, you get the bad with Ryan day. And if I hear that, Ohio State's looking to change up the play calling during the bye week. I'm not going to shed a tear, but he indirectly found a way or helped find a way to win this game. And then the passion after the game, I have no problem whatsoever with that. I love it. Again, you don't always want your coach to lead with their, their heart over their head, but he sort of got called out. Granted, it was by an octogenarian who was probably asleep at halftime. That's fine, but he sort of called Ryan Day out personally 
and then challenge the toughness of his team. So I like the fire. I love it. He delivered a, a Ric Flair promo after the game. He called out Lou Holtz. I'm cool with it. I like it. And I hope that he continues to coach with that chip and acknowledges that it's there. Like, be pissed off Ryan Day all the time, not just after a big win. So I take the good. I take the bad. I feel like I'm about to sing the Facts of Life theme song. But where were you at with the Ryan Day experience last night? I'm completely okay with how he handled like post game and being fired up. I could not disagree more about the play calling though. He did not try to prove his toughness and that's part of the issue. We ran uh, an end around on fourth and one. They ran the second to last play of the game. They rolled out a quarterback. They can't roll out the goal line stand that they ended up uh, getting stuffed on Everybody in the history of football has always said you don't wait till fourth down to throw the ball. If you're going to throw the ball, it is either on second down or third down. You don't yeah. wait till fourth down. You just so hit this comes back to and you cannot convince me otherwise. These plays are something that somebody should be thinking of ahead of time. But because he's the head coach Right now, he has struggled with those. He has struggled with them the entire time he's been a head coach because these specialty plays, he's not thinking of ahead of time as the head coach because he's too busy worrying about the play before and the play before. The reason he didn't have a good play ready for uh, seven seconds to go is because he had just called a play. There's not two people there making this, this call. Generally, if your offensive coordinator is calling plays, then your head coach can maybe give him a suggestion. But I guarantee he's not listening to Brian Hartline's suggestions. He's just not. He, we talk about his stubbornness. He's not. He may listen during the week, but come day game day, he's not. And it's hindering the team. And if you're right, eventually it's going to cost them. And it damn sure almost did last night. And if they had lost this game last night, it was an indictment on him as a play caller and his decision making during the games as a play caller versus head coach. Because those you just can't do that. You're you're getting you it it's really hypocritical for you to call Lou Holtz out about how tough your team is and then your confidence in them is you give it to your second runner receiver and let him run an end around. So your team's not that tough. And th this is, this is now multiple times that he's tried to prove fake toughness and it's cost them, right? It cost them against Michigan. Like we, we talked for a whole year about how we got to be tougher. Well, are, did you actually get any tougher? Or did you just talk about it? Because you still got the ball ran down your throats against them. So you either got to lean into what you are or you've got to ch fundamentally change your team. So if you're going to talk about how quote unquote tough you are, you better get a better damn better offensive line and you better get a pass rush because tough teams can run block and can pass rush. And this team can't do either. So either lean into what you're good at or be tough, but you can't be both. And your team, if they can, if you can, fake motivate them with the Lou Holt stuff, then great, do it. But you've now got to come back against Maryland and actually show that you're tough again. 
don't show it just because it was Notre Dame and Lou Holtz called you out. Guess what? Uh, uh, the CEO of Under Armour isn't going to call you guys soft, so you don't have to worry about it this week. There's no fake motivation coming from somebody else. You've got to bring it from internally. Now go prove it in a game that you didn't have uh, an 85-year-old ex-head coach uh, talking trash about you on the Pat McAfee show. I think one way you can show toughness, though, is just beating the ass of the opposing team with what you do. Like, that's tough as well. And so when you say lean into it, that's what I think bludgeoning another team because you are so good or so proficient in this, that, or the other, that's also toughness. So we're going to have these ups and downs. It seems like we always will. But in the end, like you want a coach who's super passionate and defends his team and things like that. It's just balance it out is, I think, what we're calling for. And before we just get to our winners, losers, and fantasy MVP, I also want to bring up, so Ohio State had scored at least 20 points in 77 consecutive games until last night. So that puts the end, an end to a wild streak, you know, 77 games. It dates back to 2017, and it was the, gosh, it was the big non-con, Oklahoma. When they played Oklahoma was the last time that they had not scored 20 points or more. So sort of wild, and it's just as wild to think about the fact that Ohio State has scored exactly two offensive touchdowns in half of their games so far this year. They have scored two touchdowns in two out of four games. So they've got a lot to figure out. I hope last night gives everyone involved a little bit more confidence. So, Chuck, we've been going out for a while here. Let's do our winners, losers, and fantasy MVPs. And I want to flip it because I want to end on a positive note because this was a very positive outcome. So let's start with losers. Chuck, who are your losers of last night's game? I really want to like him because he's an ex-Buckeye, but uh, Marcus Freeman was a loser last night. That game could have been won by him, uh, and he he made some very uh, very suspect suspect calls and decisions, and ultimately, I think he was the main reason that Notre Dame lost that game. That's fair. Um, I'll go with Lou Holtz because it's low-hanging fruit. But also, but also for me, until they do something, it's going to be the combination of Ohio State's defensive ends. Like, I, I think they're talented. I'm going to root for them. I hope that Ohio State gets something out of them, and I never want to make it personal. But JT, Tuimoloau, and Jack Sawyer, they aren't giving you enough right now. They're not giving the Buckeyes enough. They've got to get it figured out. So they would be my other losers from last night. How about winners, Chuck? Who do you have in the winning column? I think that last drive made Kyle McCord a winner. I loved seeing uh, the like relief on his face afterwards. Like to me, that is what college football is about. Like just the the decompression from a huge moment is that. Um, and I think the 
uh, secondary of Ohio State was another big winner because they went into a big game and did not give up the big plays that they had done the last two big games that they were in. So that is a good step for them in hopefully uh, righting some wrongs from last year. Damn, you sort of took mine. <clears throat> so I'll go with Chip Trainum was a winner for me. Obviously, the game-winning touchdown. He's come up uh, big in some important moments for the Buckeyes, so credit to him. He was a winner. And I'll actually give you another a duo or a tandem. They won last night because of what they did earlier in the day, and that's Kirk Herbstreet and Lee Corso. Both picking Ohio State. The old coach donned the, the Brutus head for, I think, the 39th time. And Ohio State has won two out of every three games. I think I have that right. 26 wins, 13 losses now when he dons the headwear. And I know Herb Street takes plenty of shit from Ohio State fans. Maybe rightfully so. I, I don't have any issue with anything that Kirk Herbstreet does or says when it comes to Ohio State, but credit to him. He picked the Buckeyes last night. And so that leaves our fantasy MVPs. Chuck and I are big fantasy football players. We're not doing college teams this year, but we have in the past. It's just not as prevalent. Not a ton of stats last night, Chuck. It's a 17 to 14 game. But if you had to go and pick one, who is your fantasy MVP from last night's game? And it can be on either side of the ball. I guess Travion got you 100 yards and a touchdown. But you're right. It wasn't a fantasy-centric uh, type of game. Since you took Travion Henderson, I'll have to go with Emeka Ibuka. You're looking at 16 points in a traditional PPR league, 7 for 96. So good on him. Nearly had 10 yards rushing, would have given you another point. But again, not a lot to choose from here. So that's our, uh, our fantasy MVP portion, The about the closing of the show here. Ohio State has a bye week next week. So Chuck and I are still going to come at you likely on Wednesday and Sunday. Not real sure what we're going to come at you with. It might be a post-mortem for... The Cincinnati Reds season. It could be a eulogy for the Cincinnati Bengals season. So if you're into some grieving for Cincinnati sports teams, we might have you covered there next week. <clears throat> but we'll get into something. We're going to talk about college football. We're going to talk about Ohio State in some way, shape, or form. And you might get a, a pity party as well. So Looking forward to that. We appreciate all you guys listening. Please hit us up on social. Send us the emails, all of that good stuff. Uh, until next time, please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. And as always, especially after a big, big, exciting victory, just can't say it enough. Go Bucks.